I'm speaking this morning on growing a healthy and a happy and a holy family. One of the things that I love about the scripture is that the Bible makes no bones about it. You don't find many examples of healthy, happy, holy families in the scripture. I was talking to our township manager just recently. We were at a coffee shop together, and he asked me a question. And so I referenced him. I said, you know, it goes all the way back to the very beginning in the Bible. I said, in the very first family, when Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, sin brought into creation, brought into the human experience, violence and jealousy, betrayal. And I said, it wasn't long before an older brother slew a younger brother. And I said, that's been a part of the human story ever since. And then I went on to share with him that the real answer to this solution is not to be found, and I'm not against programs that help families, but the real solution is to be found in what Christ did for us at Calvary and putting our faith in Jesus Christ, because only Jesus can deal with the sin problem of our hearts. Rules-keeping can't, religion can't, only Jesus can deal with that. So there are no perfect families. As a matter of fact, Max Lucado wrote these words one time, and I hope you'll find some comfort and strength in them. He says, if your family doesn't appreciate you, take heart. Jesus faced the same thing in his family. Anybody ever experienced that? You know, you'd feel unappreciated if you're a dad or a mom or maybe a son or a daughter. You feel like maybe folks don't recognize and appreciate your contributions to the family. I, I remember talking to children in children's church one time, our Timber Ridge program. I had stepped back years ago and was talking with our kids, and, and I said, let's talk about the things that moms and dads do for us. And they were excitedly telling me about how they, they buy food and they provide a house. They love us. They play with us. They buy us Christmas presents, and all the kids started laughing then. They buy us, and they just went all these things. And just a few years later, I walked into the youth service one night, and I said the same thing. What do your parents do for you? And there, as teenagers, they were no longer appreciating what their parents did. They were talking about all the things they felt like their parents didn't do right. And I recognize, and that's the problem we all go through through adolescence and where all of a sudden we become more me-centered rather than other-centered and Lucado was right. Even Jesus' family didn't appreciate who he was. And I hope as a result of this message, we're going to love one another. We're going to appreciate one another. We're going to show one another our love and appreciation. But most of all, we're going to understand what the key to it all is, and it's found in Jesus Christ. Stand with me, if you would, for reading from God's Word from the book of Psalms, chapter 36. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Give justice to those with honest hearts. Would you read that with me this morning? How precious is your unfailing love, O God. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you and give justice to those with honest hearts. I want you to notice that particular phrase there, unfailing love. God doesn't love you because of what you've done for him. Matter of fact, if you're a follower of Jesus, God doesn't love you any more now than he loved you before you gave your heart to Jesus. You don't earn the love of Jesus. You don't merit the love of Jesus. God just simply loves you. The Greek word is called agape love, that unconditional love. 
And it's an unfailing love. God will never stop loving you no matter what. And so those words, how precious is your unfailing love. And this has been my prayer for you this week, and it's what I want you to make your prayer for your family. If you'll look at the same passage with me again, pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Would you say that with me? Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Let's say it again. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. One more time, because I want you to remember it. Pour out your unfailing love on those who love you. Father, I am asking you this morning, both online, with our online campus, and with those who are here this morning, pour out your unfailing love upon us, O Lord. We know that you love us, and God, I confess that, but this morning I pray in particular, and especially that there will be a fresh outpouring of your love upon us, for Jesus, you have been given the Holy Spirit without measure, and I pray without any reservation or hesitation, you will pour out your love on all of us who are gathered in your presence today, for it's in your name I ask. Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I um, was called recently by some in our church who were working on Pastor Appreciation Day for the pastoral staff here. And it just got me thinking about all the pastors of my past who have blessed me, who have loved me, and I just want to each week take a moment to express my love for them. One of them, his name was Cortez Frazier, and how he loved me, how he helped me, how he believed in me. Whenever others didn't believe in me, he believed in me. I remember when I shared with him my call to the ministry, he, he got behind me, he began to encourage me, he prayed for me. He told me later, he says, I, to be honest with you, he says, I, I, I didn't know if it was emotional or whether you could really make it because your health was so poor and you were in such bad shape. There was one preacher that I really respected, and he looked at me, and he said, Denny, he says, God hasn't called you to preach. You're, you're too weak. You're too frail. You don't have even the diaphragm with which to preach with, and that crushed me, but I knew God had called me, and I shared that with Pastor Frazier, and he said to me, with man, some things are possible, but never forget, with God, all things are possible, and he drilled that into my head. Even when I went to college, the vice president of academic affairs told me I didn't belong there, that I, I didn't belong in college, that my mind, I didn't have the mind for it. Even though the University of Georgia gave me a full ride, I, somehow or another, I wasn't, you know, I just wasn't cut out because of the health issues that I had. And here I am, 60-something or 50-something years later, I'm still preaching the gospel. I've been around the world preaching the gospel. God is so good. Can you say amen? And so I just want to say thank you to my pastor who believed in me when other people didn't and believed in my call. Another pastor that had a big influence on my life was Pastor Chuck Smith, and this will be up on the screen. I want you to follow along with me. Pastor Chuck Smith was the pastor that really embraced, if you remember back in the 70s when the Jesus movement started and hippies began getting saved and hippies were being baptized in the Pacific Ocean and soon that revival swept. If the name Larry Norman means anything to you, if the name Love Song, I could tell you all kinds of groups, then Pastor Chuck Smith was behind all of that. 
welcoming people and telling his church. They may smell, they may come with bare feet, they may be dirty, but Jesus loves them, and Calvary Chapel is going to love them as well. And I will always remember him. But he wrote a book called Why Grace Changes Everything. And in that book, he said this, have you ever pondered the significance of the simple phrase, God loves you? Now, just stop and think about that for a moment. Have you ever pondered the significance of it? My mechanic is sitting in the back, who's also my friend and my buddy. Yesterday, I had lunch with someone, and they told me, he says, it took him three months to figure out a problem with my car after he repaired it, and it couldn't, nobody could figure out what was wrong with it, but he said, I told you I'd fix it, I'll fix it, and he pondered it for three months and when he got it repaired, it turned out not to be his work that was at fault. It was a design problem with the car. And he was able to get it repaired. And I thought about what I was saying yesterday to them and how that subject came up. I know we ponder problems. I know we ponder opportunities. But have you ever really, as Pastor Smith says, pondered the significance of the phrase, God loves you? It may embody the most important truth that anyone can grasp, that God has called us into a loving relationship with himself. Our part is simply trust and believe in the deep care and compassion God freely extends to us. Don't let that go by you, like, over your head. Our part is simply to trust and believe. Trust and believe what? The deep care. And the compassion that God freely extends. It doesn't cost us anything. God freely gives it to us. How beautiful it is to experience the freedom and joy of a love relationship with God. And I hope that's what you've experienced. Because when I tell you that you don't find many healthy, happy holy families in the Bible. It's because the Bible gives us the reality of what is. But there was this wonderful relationship of love between the Father and the Son that is modeled for us. And there's this wonderful relationship of God's undying love for Israel and Christ's undying love for the church so that when I am taught as a husband how to love my wife, I'm not taught to look at Pastor Corey. I'm not taught to look at Pastor Mark. I'm taught to look at Jesus. And the scripture simply says, Dennis, love Rebecca the way Christ loved the church. Boy, that's quite a tall assignment. Don't you agree? To be able to love the way Christ loved the church. I am so grateful for my family. God has made everything that was impossible that I really wanted in my life possible in my life. God is a God of miracles, and I'm praying that God is going to do a miracle in your family, and those of you that are watching online or maybe watching later this week, you're going to experience that miracle. We have four wonderful children that Becky and I love very much. We're very proud of our children, and I want you to know I, I love my wife, I love my kids, but I really love my grandchildren. I love those four grandsons of ours. The Bible says in Proverbs 17, 6, because I was praying, Lord, don't let me idolize my family. Don't let me give my wife or my children ahead of you or my grandchildren. And then I read this in the word of the Lord. Grandchildren are the crowning glory of the aged, and parents are the pride of their children. 
Boy, I love that verse right there. Except for the part about aged. Grandchildren are the glory, the crowning glory of the aged. And parents are the pride of their children. And my, my prayer has always been that our children would be proud of Becky and I. And then I can testify that we are proud and so thankful for our children and grandchildren. But recently when I was diagnosed with some heart issues and I'm doing well, I'm doing fine. And it's, the doctors told me it was nothing that I was doing wrong on my part. I was doing everything right as far as diet and exercise and things of that nature. But it really brought home some things to me. And I thought, wow, you know, if, if my kidneys failed, I could probably go through some treatment. If my, then did this fail, but if my heart stops, that's it. And so I began working on a letter that I've always had some things prepared for my family, but I began working on a letter for my grandchildren. I began working because if it stops, I want something that Becky can give to them and their kids can give to them, and they'll know how much I love them because I want them to love Jesus. And I started out with 2 Timothy 4, 6, the time has come for my departure. And let me just tell you how I outline my letter. I tell them about the amazing life and the amazing adventure I've had with Jesus. And I talk to them about why grace is amazing and why John Newton wrote that song and how amazing my life has been with Christ. I talk to them about how my parents, their great-grandparents taught me to love him. And I talk to them about my sisters and how they prayed for me and believed in me. And I tell them in this letter, I say, I'm getting ready to meet the Lord face to face. And I want you to know that I'm not afraid. I will miss you, but I am getting ready for the greatest adventure of my whole life. I'm going to heaven to meet Jesus. I don't want them to fear death. I want them to know there's a future and a promise. Second thing I do in that letter then, I tell them, I'm so sorry for my sins and my failures because as you read my journal, as your parents let you read my journal, you're going to see where I've failed, where I've sinned. But I am forgiven. Jesus washed away my sins. And the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And furthermore, the scriptures say, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. And the only reason your papa will be in heaven is not because I was a good man or did a good thing. It's all because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Then the third section of my letter is all about Becky. My best friend, the love of my life, Rebecca. I call her affectionately Becky. And I expect you to treat her with love and kindness, and I know you're going to love her and treat her well. And you need to know her faith and her prayers are why we have a family. She is truly a woman of God. Then I tell them, don't tell your mom and dad, but you are the joy of my life. I want you to remain true. I want you to remain faithful to Jesus. When you get married, I want you to love your wives. I want you to keep the ties strong with your mom and dad and your grandmother. I want you to lay up treasures in heaven because as an old man, I can tell you now that the stuff of this earth means nothing when you get to heaven. And beware of sin and confess it very quickly and ask the Lord to fill you with his Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit will give you joy and color and power in your life. Now at my funeral... I want you to be sure that God is glorified and don't make any mistakes 
you will see me sooner than you expect your papa. And that's the outline of a letter that I want to leave for my kids because I want them to know about a happy and a healthy and a holy family. We've had a happy family. We've had a healthy family. It hasn't been a perfect family by far. We've had our flaws. I think one of the greatest things that Jay Mooney did last week was when he told us about when he kicked the stool in the kitchen, and I could see all of that because we were neighbors, and, and they lived right around the corner from us, and the refrigerator, I could see all of that that he shared with us and how he apologized to his family for losing his temper and what he had said, and he said to this, the, and I'll never forget it when his son said to him, he says, Dad, you're not that bad. All the grace of children. Can you say amen to that? But he taught his family how to humble themselves and apologize. So how do you build this family? Well, I'd say, number one, learn to simplify. Don't let life become so complicated with schedules. Don't let life become so complicated with activities. Don't feel like your children have to be a part of every single event that happens in order to have the family that I've wanted to have and the ministry that I've wanted to have. I've had to learn to say no to a lot of things so that I could say yes to the things that matter. For every time I say no to something, I'm saying yes to something more important. And every time I say yes to something, I'm saying no to something else that's less important. And sometimes we get all of that scattered. I will never forget after one of our high school graduations that we celebrated here at the church, one of the kids came to me and says, you know, mom and dad kept us so busy doing things, we never really had time to spend with mom and dad. So learn to simplify. Learn to reduce the stress in your home and marriage by having daily time for conversation around the table because conversation binds a family together. It pulls marriages together. It pulls parents and children together. Even the United States Food and Drug Administration recognizes that families that have dinner together, they have much lower rates of drug abuse. They have much lower rates of teenage pregnancy. They have greater rates of successful marriages because the families take time to be together. Learn to rest and play together. Learn to enjoy the family God has given you. Yesterday, I called Pastor Mark for some directions because I got caught by the train in New Boston, and you know how that train is, it's an eternal train. Sometimes I feel like it's a hellbound train if you get caught on the wrong, wrong side of it, and I had, was asking Mark for some directions, and he was saying, you know, Pastor Corey really knows that part of the area better because he's constantly taking his kids to the park over there to, to, get, to ride bikes and to play. It's important to have those times of just rest and relaxation. Look at Matthew chapter 6 with me. The world is so full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than what you need. And friends, if what the Lord is saying to us is don't complicate your prayer life, don't complicate your marriage, and don't complicate your family, learn to simplify. The second thing I would say is be sincere in worship. Take time to worship the Lord sincerely. Think about what you're singing when we're singing here at church. Sing the songs at home. 
Uh, this morning while I was getting ready, an old song, you may not even know it, but an old song came to my mind, and I found myself just belting it out in the shower. Do you know I sing really, really good in the shower? I sound so much better, you know? But I was singing this old song, honey, called I'm Redeemed by the Blood of the Lamb. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. And as I sang that song, I just began thinking about all that meant to be redeemed, that I was a slave to sin. I was a captive of the enemy, but Christ broke those bonds of captivity. Now, that may not be the most welcome thing to tell you your pastor was singing while he's in the shower, but that's sincere because you can worship the Lord not only at church, you can worship the Lord on your job or you're driving your car or you're driving a golf ball. I have found many times that I've gotten prayed through after I've drove a golf ball. Especially, Lord, help me to have patience and do it right. Be sincere. This is from Fender Guitar. I just love this stat. They published a stat just recently. Did you know that one-third, one out of every three guitars that are sold in the United States are used in worship? They're used in churches that are in worship. Fender estimates there's over a million guitars played every single Sunday morning to the glory of God. Friends, that is scriptural. Doesn't the Bible says, let the string instruments sound the high praises of God? So when you think of guitars and pianos and harps and high-sounding cymbals, when you think of all of that, God is being glorified in our music. I read this in a Los Angeles paper. If you don't make a habit out of going to church each Sunday, you shoot yourself in the foot, your children in the leg, and your grandchildren in the heart. I can't emphasize how important it is for you to bring your children to church and to worship together and to worship at home. In 1 Samuel chapter 12 and verse 24, this verse is so powerful. Trust the Lord. We've already talked about that. But notice what he says. Sincerely worship him. Think of all the tremendous things he has done for you. Now, I don't believe that God would have inspired the prophet to say sincerely worship him if there wasn't people that were just simply going through the acts or through the motions of worship without sincerely worshiping the Lord. I have had to myself convicted so many times because I like to read my Bible through every year. I try to read the New Testament through twice a year, but I get through the whole Bible every year and Sometimes, because I'm so list-oriented and I'm so checkbox-oriented, I am too type A, you know, but I'll start reading real fast, and then the Holy Spirit will say, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Stop, slow down, and read thoughtfully. Maybe you come to church and you sing the songs that I think our children pick up on the sincerity of our worship. I remember when Christopher was little, Sometimes when it was late at night, we would not call upon Christopher to pray because Christopher sincerely prayed for everything, everybody, every missionary he prayed for. And Christopher never just said, Jesus bless him. It was, oh God, you know how they need a blessing and they need help because lost people are dying in Paraguay and children are hungry, Lord. And it's that time of the year when the monsoons come, Lord, and we're like... Christopher, the rest of the kids have got to go to bed. And I, I didn't pray like that. Becky didn't pray like that. And then one day we asked Becky's father, Pastor Stewart, to pray. 
And Pastor Stewart was praying, and oh God, you know, and this, and I realized that Christopher was learning from his grandfather how to pray. You see, sincerely, what your children pick up on that. And then he tells us, think of all the tremendous things he's done for you. I would like for you this week to write down all of the great things that God has done in your life. I want you to just think of them. And I have an idea that many of those great things he's done for you are going to be like the great things he did for me. Those great things happened in some of the darkest seasons of your life, in some of the darkest times of your life. And then you're going to find that some of them are like, Becky and I have experienced many times where we go, oh, God, we didn't even ask you for that, and you did it, and we just, we just say, pray that scripture. Surely goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. Did you know that? God's goodness and mercy, according to Psalm 33, they'll follow you all the days of your life. I love walking with the blessings of the Lord, don't you? N.T. Wright, who is a British theologian, wrote these words, worship is humble and glad. Worship forgets itself in remembering God. Worship celebrates the truth as God's truth, not its own. True worship doesn't put on a show or make a fuss. True worship isn't forced, isn't half-hearted, doesn't keep looking at its watch, doesn't worry what the person in the next pew may be doing. True worship is open to God, adoring God, waiting for God, and trusting God even in the dark. Will you read that with me? Trusting God even in the dark. One more time. Trusting God even in the dark. Trusting God even in the dark means at that midnight hour when you wake up in a cold sweat, God is there. And just like you would want your children to sleep peacefully and securely, God is saying to you, I've got this. And then thirdly this morning, have faith in God. Sometimes I know I have to really try to help people understand what it means to have faith in God. It means to trust God. I have faith in Becky. I have faith in my children. I have faith in you. To have faith means that we trust and we don't worry about what the other person is doing. When I hire staff members, I always say to them, I'm not going to be looking over your shoulder. If I need to micromanage you, I don't need you. I need to be able to trust you. I don't have time to pastor church and lead a church, and I won't keep people around that I can't trust. To have faith in God means you trust people. To have faith in God means you can trust your wife to trust your husband. Now, they may break your faith, Listen to me. They may break your faith. They may break your trust. And it will break your heart. Three weeks ago, I preached on protecting your marriage. Love is trusting. And if it breaks your heart, you will heal. Look at me. You will heal. But God will deal with the person that breaks faith. It's not my job to judge them. It's not my job to try and hurt them. But God will deal with the person that breaks the faith, that breaks the trust. So the only way to build a relationship is really to have faith. To have faith in God means that you trust God with your family. As a matter of fact, the Bible says this in Hebrews eleven six: It's impossible to please God apart from faith. And why? Because anyone who wants to approach God must believe that he exists 
and that he cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Read that with me. He cares enough to respond to those who seek him. One more time. He cares enough to respond to those who seek him. Once more. He cares enough to respond to those who seek him. A lot of times, almost every week, I love Pringles. I mean, I love Pringles. I know, so don't write me an email. Don't say anything. I'm not going to listen. I love Pringles. Almost every week, my son leaves me a can of Pringles on my desk. And I make them last all week long so that the body can metabolize them without clogging up my heart. But the fact that he loves me and just does something without even asking me, blesses me. I walked out of my room the other day, and my daughter had a pair of pants and shirt ironed and hanging up for me. I was so grateful, and I was so thankful. It's just what I needed. She called me yesterday because I did a baptismal service, and, and the man that I baptized displaced a lot of water. Let's leave it at that. Water came right over the top of the the waders I was wearing all the way down to my feet. We had a good laugh, but Amy had asked me, she said, Dad, do you need a change of clothes? I said, no, I've got waders. I should have listened to her. You see, to have faith means to trust. They care, now here's the point I'm trying to make. They care enough to do something that they don't have to do because they love. Look at me this morning. God wants to do things in your life because He cares about you and He loves you. And you can say what Becky and I say often, surely goodness and mercy are following me all the days of my life. And then finally this morning, build your home on Christ. Build your home on Jesus. Hurricane Ian was a horrible storm, and if you haven't given to our our relief fund that we're giving to Convoy of Hope for Hurricane Ian. I hope that you'll go online. You can text or you can give this morning before you leave the church. And if you do, please use an envelope so that we know that you're giving that for uh, Convoy of Hope. Old Fort Myers, according to the news, doesn't exist anymore. I don't know if you've ever been to Old Fort Myers. That's beautiful. One of my Best friends is from there, and he and I made a trip down there a number of years together. Just beautiful historic area. Sanibel Island, the bridges are destroyed, cut off from there. That storm was a demonstration of anything, and I don't say this with callousness because we hurt, we have friends down there. But it's the reality. It's a living illustration of what Jesus said, build your house on the rock. And it will withstand the storms. Build your house on sand and it will collapse and you'll lose everything. The only way to build a health, happy, healthy, holy family is to build on Christ. It's the reason Matthew 7 and verse 24 says, anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise. Like a person who builds a house on solid rock, though the rain comes in torrents and the flood floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. Now notice carefully this verse. 
listens to my teaching and follows it. It's not enough to come and listen. It's the reason we give you growth work. It's the reason we give you verbs and the outlines of our messages every week is because we want you to not only hear the word, but we want you to be able to take action upon the word. Do something so that the word is not just something you hear and go, oh, that was nice, but something you can build upon. And you know what it means to build a house? Well, build a life, build a marriage upon the teachings Build your children on the teachings and follow it. And though we are in a situation in our nation where it looks like we're being pulled apart at the seams politically, economically, psychologically, morally, so many things going on in our nation, we've been here before. We've been here before. And right now when we hear Mr. Putin from Russia talking about using tactical nuclear weapons because he's losing the war in Ukraine. And the thought of a ta small tactical nuclear weapon are more powerful than the bombs that were dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. We've been here before. When Russia tried to send missiles into to Cuba, we've been here before. Don't allow your faith to be destroyed by listening to all the things that are pulling us apart as a nation. We build our homes upon Christ and his teachings, and we will stand through the storm. Somebody say amen this morning. It's the reason Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, knowing God results in every other kind of understanding. So here are four things that I'll give you very quickly and we'll pray. Number one, treasure innocence. Protect your children. Don't allow things into your home. Don't allow things into your marriage that could pull your marriage apart. There's a movie out right now, and I can't, I, those of you that are old enough like me that remember the Jeffrey Dahmer trial and all that happened, all of that doesn't need to be retold into our homes. Don't let that into your house. Don't let violence and wickedness and evil protect the innocence of your children. The Bible says in Proverbs 4, verse 23, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. What your children think and feel, what they experience. Last week after church, and we were taking Jay and Laura to the airport, and we'd had lunch together, Jay and I both were laughing because of some of the meals we've had together in the past. And I was teasing him. He was the one that had introduced me to Chili Five Ways at Steak and Shake. That was a meal I enjoyed for two or three weeks. But we were talking about his message. He made a statement. He said, parents, you are the greatest influencer of your children more than TikTok more than Facebook more than Instagram or any of the other things that are out there then he told us about his son Eric when he's about nine years old they were out for a family evening and he says why don't we go get some wings and one of the two they were passing a sign he says why don't we go get some wings and one of the teenagers says let's go to Hooters and Eric looked, and he says, Dad, we don't want to go there. They serve owl. 
You see, in his mind, because they had protected the innocence of their children, all he could see was Al. I think that's successful parenting. Cultivate a sense of wonder. Delight in their discoveries. When they're discovering a bug or when they're discovering something inside, you may know it, but take time to listen and go, wow, that's great. You're so smart. You're learning. Tell me more. Delight. Cultivate that sense of wonder. Take your iPad or your iPhone or if you use one of those other devices and go outside at night and look at the, the constellations. And I know that's kind of hard to do in Detroit, but get outside of Detroit and it's amazing what you can see in the night sky. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. Look at that. The pleasures of living with you forever. I, I meet so many people. That's Proverbs 16, verse 11. I meet so many people that don't understand. Living for Jesus is joyful. Living for Jesus is an adventure. It's why I'm telling my grandsons this. If you're not having a wonderful time discovering the joys and the wonder of life, there's more to this Christian life than what you've experienced. And then finally, make your home a place of safety and warmth. What I mean by that is rejoice in their giftings, rejoice in their talents. Think about their shape. Think about the spiritual gifts that God will give them as they give their lives to Christ. Notice what they love as children, what they love to do. Cultivate that, encourage that. Help them to recognize that God's given them certain abilities that they can do well and to use those abilities. Celebrate their personality. Maybe you've got one that you hoped you would have a child that would be quiet and would be studious and love to read books. And they just could have no time. You just have to see they do their homework and you're glad they've done their homework. But delight in their personality. And then understand this. Listen to me. Look at me. I love you. I love you. I love you. And if you'll listen to what I'm saying, long when I'm in heaven, you'll be thanking the Lord that you listened. Make sure they have positive experiences. Godly experiences growing up. Because the experiences that are going to shape them the most in life are those few years that you have them in your home. If you respect the Lord, you and your children have a strong for fortress. And finally, show your children the way. Let them see that you love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. We're going to take communion together now. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me. And I'm going to step off the camera and grab communion for Becky and I. And if you didn't pick up communion on your way in this morning, if you'll just hold up your hand, one of our ushers will be sure that you've got communion.
communion was so meaningful to us in the first service this morning. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you take communion with us. If you're at home, I hope you'll take communion with us, especially if you're part of our online campus, you know. But if you just happen to drop in, maybe you don't know. Maybe you could just pause it if you're watching the recording. And if you have some juice and bread, you could join us in taking communion right now. The Bible says on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body. I was telling you about the conversation with our township manager. The first family, because of sin, brother betrayed brother. Jesus loved Judas. Jesus called Judas, and Judas walked with Jesus for three years, and then Judas betrayed the Lord. But it didn't stop Jesus from loving. What will keep your heart tender is when you walk in worship and you walk in the Spirit. So let me pray over this bread for us this morning. Father, the bread we're about to taste and the bread we're about to eat is what Jesus gave us to remind us that he paid the ultimate price. That he took the stripes upon his back, the 39 lashes. And that he was crucified on a cross cruelly, not for any wrong that he had done, but to save us from our sin. And when he did this, Lord, and he broke that bread, he said, a new commandment that I give to you. Thank you, Jesus. As we eat this bread, make us one family in Christ, I pray. Let's break and eat together. And in the same manner, Jesus took the cup, saying, this cup is the cup of the new covenant that I'm making with you. I've asked the Lord to open my eyes to communion like I've never seen it before. The Bible says that wine was meant to gladden the heart of a man. And yet when Jesus drank this cup, listen to me, this cup symbolized his blood. It cost Jesus, look at me, it cost Jesus everything. But the only thing that will truly make you glad and happy in this life is to have your sins forgiven and washed away by the blood of Jesus. So as we pray, may this cup gladden our hearts this morning. Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for the blood that Jesus shed for us. Now I ask you to pour out your unfailing love upon us. And as we drink this cup together today, I pray in the name of Jesus 
the Lord truly, our hearts will be made glad and we will rejoice in him forevermore. In your name I pray, amen. Let's drink together. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you so. I love you so. Lord, I'm amazed by you, how you love me. Hallelujah. Now, Father, I pray over every family, every grandparent, every parent, every child represented in our congregation and those in our online congregation as well. Would you make your face shine upon them? Would you smile upon them? Lord, would you bless their homes with peace and joy and love in the Holy Spirit? Would you make their home a fortress from the clamor and the tumult of this world? And Father, would you make our neighbors glad that you've placed us in our neighborhoods and subdivisions? And finally, I pray today, Lord, that in your name, you will pour out your spirit without measure upon us and send us home in peace, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. May the Lord bless you. May God keep you. Have a wonderful week. Consider yourselves dismissed. Thank you for joining us today for Woodland Church and our YouTube channel. I hope you'll take a moment and click that subscribe button and also click the notifications bell so that you'll know when new things are posted. We're always putting new material up so that you can be a part of everything that's going on. We want to share those with you and we hope that they will encourage you and strengthen you in your faith as you watch. You can also find out more about Woodland Church by going to our website at woodland.church. You can find out all about us and also upcoming events. Again, thank you for joining us today.